Today is December the 4th of 2016. The message is called, Gonna Rise Up. Amen. Let's go to Genesis 4. Turning, turning, turning. There. There. Amen. Doing some research on a particular Hebrew word recently. This is kind of an odd place to pick up in, but it's the very first occurrence of it. Let's read 4, verse 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. See, you guys know this story. What's going on with Cain and Abel right now? They just brought their sacrifices. God was pleased with Abel and his offering. And he was not pleased with Cain or his offering. In response to a revelation that came from God, Cain did a pretty wicked thing. He rose up against his brother. The word attack there has to do with this concept. He stood, he took his stand, but in a fleshly way. When I talk to you today, it's about the difference between taking your stand or rising in the spirit or in the flesh. And we're going to win. Obviously, we don't have time to go through every occurrence. This is just the first one. But I'm going to go through some notable mentions. In Genesis 6, the 18th verse, we have Noah. He hears from God about plans for building an ark. And then he rises up and he builds it. As we keep moving, just through Genesis, in the 13th chapter, Abraham, he just had the covenant of God confirmed with him. And then he rises up, and he walks the land. He takes a look at the inheritance that God has given him. Still in Genesis, Abraham gets spoken to about his promised son Isaac in the 17th chapter. He rises up and he confirms the covenant with his whole household. And when we take the covenant of God seriously, it affects our whole household. Living proof of that. My son will be too. I know your children are going to be. We've got an amazing little group on that stage. The covenant of God, when we take our stand, when we rise, it affects everybody. In Genesis 28, Jacob, he rises up to go get his promised bride. How you doing, honey? The promises of God that have always been taken by men who are willing to rise up and do what was called. It's the response to the revelation that the King of Kings gives us. Like Cain, we have the potential to rise up in the wrong way. There's lots of people that are rising up right now. We hear about it on the news. We hear about it in city streets, all kinds of craziness. They're rising up. But it's not birth of the Spirit. You know what? It's time for us to rise up. And we don't fight that way. Amen. We're a different kind of people. A peculiar people. One that has experienced the living God. You want to turn with me to Exodus? Yes. Does anybody want to turn with me to Exodus? Yes. I love the law. Our Monday night Bible studies are amazing. Does anybody else think that they are? Yes. Let's go to Exodus, the second chapter. We'll pick up in the 16th verse.
I'm still turning there, but we're going. Exodus 2, 16th verse. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. (laughs) It doesn't say it explicitly here, but it sounds like Moses was a little bit forceful about this process. And yet it was considered righteous. So what's the difference between Cain here and Moses? See, Cain heard the revelation of God and was motivated by jealousy, fear, insecurity. Moses, he rescued the captives and he watered those sheep. And that is the heart of Christ. He gained a new and ever-present respect for Moses. There are many shadows and types of Jesus through the Older Testament. Moses is a good one. Those seven daughters kind of remind me of some churches that I heard about. As we keep moving, you can see this pattern all through the Word. Every one of the patriarchs that we just mentioned and others that we aren't going to take the time to. Something in their lives had to rise up. Let's go to Exodus 24. Exodus 24, we'll pick up in the 12th verse. Are there any disciples in the room that like this verse? Anybody? Yes? So I thought I would preach on it. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I have written for their instruction. Come up to me on the mountain. They first had to set out. And then rise up. They set their will on what God had spoken on the revelation from heaven. Has anybody in the room had some promises from God? Some calls from God? I know you. I know that you have. This body is advancing the gospel all over the world. And each of us have different parts to play in it. But what's required is that we set our will. And then we begin to rise. He meets us there. That's where we find the deep presence of God. That's where we find the law and the commandments that we need. It's out on that mountain of God when you set your will and you're going to rise no matter what it takes. While he's doing this, Joshua comes with him. Something about our lives is supposed to inspire others. Many of you in the room take discipleship very, very seriously. This is exactly what it looks like. Is you are rising with other people and it's teaching you how to walk, how to do it, step where I step. If you've been watching that on the outside, it's available. As a son in the ministry... I've gotten to watch round after round of disciples, men who are just like us, that are pastoring in different areas of the United States, on the foreign mission field. You can do it too. It's not a select few. It's what the gospel has always been about. It's lives completely changing and being renewed by His Spirit and His Word. Amen? So I've been talking a lot about this Hebrew word. I guess it would be fitting that we talk about it a little bit. We'll explain what it is. It's Strong's number 6965. It can be translated in a varying array of English words. It's really pretty interesting. I have a short list that is by no means exhaustive. It's usually pronounced as kum. It can mean to rise. To arise. To stand, to rise up, or to stand. To rise in a hostile sense. 
to rise to become powerful, to arise to come on the scene. Does anybody remember reading the story of Boaz? He comes on the scene. Ah, behold, I have arisen. It can mean to stand, to endure, to be fixed, proven. Does that ring a bell for anybody who's gone through the Acts classes? You want to be tested and proven? To persist, to impose, to cause, to stand, to set, to station, or to establish. All of these English words are one word to God and the Hebrew-speaking people. One night at Brother Baja's house, Elder Baja's house, after a wonderful night of fellowship, a few of these English words were on my mind. I couldn't get them off. I couldn't sleep. I went downstairs and started just looking through it and began to be amazed at how many times this phrase shows up. It's because something about this defines the human relationship to God. The revelation that comes from Him and whether we arise or we don't. But we're going to arise today, right? Amen. Amen. Let's go to Numbers 25. A few of you who know me may know where I'm going with this. This is one of my favorite verses. We'll pick up in the seventh. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear through both of them threw the Israelite into the woman's body. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. Hmm. This appears, scum again, his action. I told you that this could be hostile. To arise means to take your stand for the living God. It's to take your stand for what you know that your people in your household are called to. See, Phinehas was not okay with watching his people dying of a plague. He was not okay with sin under his sight. He did whatever it took to save his people. The plague was stopped. This man received a blessing for his zeal for the Lord. Say, so violent. He just killed two people. Well, rising may be a forceful thing as we force our way into the kingdom of heaven. But what it did is it saved the lives of thousands of people. Is anyone in the room want to see salvation brought to thousands of people? Yes. There are a few acts of force against your own flesh. See, what God has always been looking for us to do is seek out His revelation. Set our will on it and arise to it. We're going to arise to it, church. The Lord has spoken to us again and again and again. We've heard about Isaiah 49. We've heard about Eliam and the nations. So many things that God has promised us as a church and as People in the room that I'm looking around. I can see Justin. I can see Abambola. I can see some of the newest members in the church that... Tell me, is your life a little different in the last six months? Is that correct? Amen? I'm looking around and I see miracles in almost every family in the room. I see people who have the promises of God in their heart. All that is needed is for us to take our stand, for us to arise to the Word of God. Amen. He will meet us. Yeah. Let's keep moving. We just read Numbers 25. We just went through the law. Just a few examples out of the law that we picked. Let's go to the prophets. Joshua 1. 
The Treasters named their firstborn son Joshua. It's a really good name. It's got such a close relationship to Christ. Let's pick up in the first verse. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' his aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Man, we're just reading about Moses and Joshua going with him. Joshua went everywhere with this man. Everywhere. Even when he wasn't mentioned by name, Joshua shows up somehow. Can you imagine how Joshua must be feeling at the moment? Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised. In the wake of his, the man who discipled him, arguably his closest friend, he was his aide since he was a boy, just died. This isn't some distant relative. Love the distant relative. This is an entirely different relationship. This is like a father and a son. Now then, my servant, your father, is dead. In the wake of that, God speaks to him and he says, Arise. He says, Go up with these people. Often in the wake of tragedy and death is when we begin to truly learn the meaning of arise. It's when difficulty hits. It's when you feel like that promise that God gave you can't be true that we really begin to arise. And you know what? This time it wasn't Joshua following Moses. It was all of the people following Joshua. Us arising is always meant to draw the nations. It's meant to draw people's attention because it goes against the natural. Joshua probably wanted to lay down and cry for a little while. The last thing he wanted to do was go get into a fight. But you know what? God said that he would win. I bet you Joshua and Caleb were getting a little excited about this. They had waited quite some time. They were ready to arise and take that hill country. In Judges, the third chapter, we're not going to turn there. Just a few more stories that immediately, this word that shows up. We have a corpulent king and a left-handed assassin. The corpulent king is found in the restroom. And the left-handed assassin that was sent by God strikes him down. Over and over again, we see in the book of Judges, a great need arose in the people. Something that caused them to cry out to God. Has anybody in the room been in a place in the last few months where you've been crying out to the Lord because you are beginning to feel your great need? Yes. See, I have <laughs> more times than I'd like to admit to. But you know what? It's not a detriment. What it's meant to do is teach us to arise to our Father. Amen. If we begin to arise to our Father, there is an answer for every problem. His courage, His strength, His Holy Spirit will anoint and help us in every circumstance. See, it didn't matter what enemy was raised up. Every time the Israelites cried out to their God, he delivered them in the book of Judges. It's really interesting. Again and again, and it's like he was trying to teach them something. Makes me think of my own life. Let's turn to Judges 5. Five, 
We'll read the seventh and the twelfth verse. We're going to pick up in the middle of somebody's song. Village life in Israel ceased, ceased, until I, Deborah, rose, arose, a mother in Israel. Village life ceased until I arose. Wow. Ceased. Come on. Have you ever been walking around alive, but not really? You know what I mean? The whole world says that they're having the time of their life, and yet there's something a little bit like condemned men walking around. See, until we begin to arise, until we really experience our deliverer and go to meet him, life is not really life. It's repeated twice here for extraordinary emphasis. Both ceased and arose. It's as if death and life is being set before them, saying, nothing or everything. The kingdom of God has always been this way. If you take hold of him, he will give you all that you need. If you will arise, he will meet you where you're at. He will send your deliverer. He will strengthen you in each and every circumstance. Let's read the 12th verse. Wake up! Wake up! Wake up, wake up. Do you think that they're sleeping? Are we hinting at something here? Wake up, wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up. Break out in song. Arise, O Barak. Take captive your captives, O son of Abinadab. See, it's easy for us to point to the church at large. And we do, because we want to draw a distinction, and it's good, it's healthy. All too often we find ourselves asleep. We can see it in the massive bodies that are all around us, people who all are called of God but are slumbering in the midst of a battle. Begin to think. What this word forced me to do is those areas that I would rather just not deal with that have been asleep. I had to wake up. I had to realize it's not really living if I'm not all in for it. It's not really living if I'm halfway asleep. The kingdom of God is meant to be experienced as living and active. That living and active God is speaking to us today. He wants you to arise not only in this circumstance, but in the whole way that we live our lives, the way that we view the world, the way that we govern everything that we touch, from work to family to children to missions. It's supposed to change every aspect of who we are. We are made to rise up. 1 Samuel 2 speaks of Eli failing. 1 Samuel 3, Samuel arises. This word is consistent through the testimony of the scripture. Let's turn to Jeremiah 1, 17. And again, this appears in many prophets. We're just choosing some of the most notable ones. Jeremiah 1, 17. Pastor Wade, Wednesday, delivered an excellent word. An excellent one. You might notice some of these concepts are interlaced. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah. 
its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Get yourself ready. Get yourself ready. Again, it's very similar words. The Hebrew here is a little more graphic than the way we generally would speak. Those of you in the men in the room who have competed in athletics, it's speaking about the kind of preparations you would make before you ran track. He's literally saying here, in your most sensitive areas, I want you to guard yourself, be ready for what the kingdom is. Because it is a fight. You're not strolling in the park. I want you to be ready to compete. That's, right. That's how he's speaking to you. That's right. Sometimes it's easy to read over the scripture and forget how much color God himself put into it. The Lord is able to make us stand, man. He says, I will make you stand. I will make you a fortified city. The brother speak, spoke about the kind of confidence that we should have in Christ. How is it that we arise? See, we need the confidence of God. See, when you are walking in holiness, when you are pouring through the word and you are praying in the spirit, you don't have anything to fear. You're a fortified city. You're a bronze wall. There is nothing that you can arise against. I love the prophets. Their lives tell such a beautiful story. Let's move to the writings. It's funny how different areas of the scripture can be interesting in different lights. I've often found that the writings, something about how it teaches you to live where you're at, it has some of the most shockingly practical stuff. It's not just beautiful, it's not just scholarly, it's, <clears throat> I've got to do what that says, like today, because it applies. Amen. With that in mind, let's turn to Daniel. Does anybody in the room love the book of Daniel? Yes. Daniel, we're going to go to the 8th chapter, 27th verse. Brother Daniel, if this were a Monday night, I would ask you to read it, but we'll get a microphone. 8, the 27th verse. I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. I enjoyed sharing of the word constantly. Sometimes one of our brothers sowed will feel a little bit like that to me. It's beyond understanding. It takes me a little while. I have to, I have to mull over it. See, Daniel here, is, he's, he's exhausted. He's ill. And he's on the ground. But his response to the vision that God gave him was to rise up Amen. and go about the king's business. See, this isn't just Daniel. This is our lives. See, the cure for when you're feeling ill, when you feel depressed, when you've been lying in your own misery, <laughs> is to rise up and go about the king's business. Because when we do that, we find the strength that we need. Daniel recovers. Later in the ninth chapter, we find out he fulfilled all the words that were spoken. He was a man of God, living in difficult circumstances. Let's go to Proverbs 31. 
happen to like Proverbs 31. Does anybody know Proverbs 31 from the marriage counseling? Yeah? Throw your arm around your honey. Proverbs 31. 15th verse. She gets up while it's still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. I have got a noble one, and I love her. There's an example here that is set by women. While it's still dark, they rise up. In the midst of darkness is when she rises, and that's what was noble. Husbands, you just told me that you had noble wives. You put your arm around them. Are our wives more noble than us? They're rising in the dark, and that's what is defining their characteristics. Oh, man, we better set a good example. Come on now. To rise up in the darkness is what is noble. To rise up in the darkness. Not wait for when it's light. Not wait for when it's convenient. We'd all rather, you know, wait to witness. We'd rather wait to repent. We'd all rather stall. But the heart of the gospel has always been light piercing the darkness. Again and again. From Genesis all the way to Revelation. Light piercing the darkness. Men who are willing to rise up and take their stand as the fields get a little darker around us. Can anybody feel that regardless of which president just won, our nation has been taking a little bit darker and darker and darker turn? I have the blessing of working in a large portion of Houston's population from one area of Houston to the other. Things are consistently getting darker. Darker and darker. It's almost as if God is setting the scene for his servants. This was not made for somebody else. This was not made for the Muslims. This is not made for the Buddhists. This was made for us. We are not bold when we're in great numbers. We're more bold when it is dark outside. When we are a remnant. This is what we were made for. This is what you were saved for. This is why baptism in the Holy Ghost is a necessity. It's something we boldly advocate. Let's keep moving. Let's go to... You start turning to Job 31. But I'm going to tell you that in Nehemiah 2, he gets letters from the king and he goes to Jerusalem. After staying there a couple days, he rises up in the middle of the night and he begins to inspect the city walls. He takes a hard look at all of them and he sees where there's breaches in the gaps. He sees where the defenses of his people are down. You know what he does? He goes to work the next day. He starts filling in those gaps. Starts building up those defenses. See, it's our job to survey our lives as we hear from the Lord and say, where are those gaps? Because I keep finding new ones. When I think I have something mastered, the Lord is always correcting and training us. And it is our not just job, but our blessing to be able to rise up again and again and again. Does anybody want to have a strong city? Does anybody want their family to reflect Jerusalem and its glory? The city of David, the prized of heaven? It's going to if we take our stand, if we rise. Everybody in Job 31? Getting there. We're going to pick up in the 14th verse. What will I do when God confronts me? What will I answer when called to account? 
What are we going to do? What are we going to do? See, the answer is to arise. The answer is to go up to our Father. Reminds me of a son in the New Testament. See, when God is confronting us, the answer is not to hide like we did in the garden. It's to rise to meet our Father. He's been calling us to Him since the beginning, making sacrifices for our sake. So as the Lord tugs on you, not just in this service, but in your life, we must make it a discipline that we don't run away from the King of Kings. We arise to meet our Father. We arise to come to the fellowship of believers, to come into His presence, to come to His altar and let Him cleanse us. In Esther, there's a plot against the Jews. And a scared little Jewish girl with the same word rises up. We talked about a noble wife. We talked about a scared little Jewish girl who rose up and are esteemed and noble because of it. We can do this. We can. can. Christ, our King, will help us. Again and again and again, what we are going to do is arise. We're going to take our stand. We're not going to let anything move us. The promises of God are worth fighting for. Amen? Amen. Amen. And Ezra, he arises and he calls the people to reform. It's the salvation of a whole nation. Does anybody in the room want to see nations saved? The book of Ezra seems to point to the fact that it was because a single man was willing to arise. So whether it be the promises of God in your life, it be your family that is like the city of Jerusalem, or it be the nations that he's pointed you at, The answer is very simple. We arise according to the revelation of God. We set our will on it and we move towards it. He will meet us and we're going to succeed just like those men did. In 2 Chronicles 30, under the reign of Hezekiah, priests and Levites have to arise to fulfill a need because it was needed. They were cleansing idolatry all through the land. Over and over again, God has appointed a few men in history when times were dark who may have had no other special attributes other than they were willing. Do you hear me? They were willing. Nothing else about them was that special. They arose when the Lord called. What does that mean for us sitting here right now We say all of the time that anything can be accomplished through Christ, yet sometimes we don't believe it. I say that from personal experience as well as I know you. If we are willing and we take that step of faith to arise as many times as it is presented to us, it will be accomplished. See, I've been able to watch this since I was a little boy. Seen men and women just like us working in the calling that God has called them to because they arose again and again. Sometimes they weren't even the most talented ones. It's funny how that works. It's those who are just willing to respond to the Father. He comes rushing in to meet you. He wants to put a ring on your finger. He wants to help you. Is there any willing hearts in the room? The Lord gave a direction to speak to those who are soft-hearted in the room, and I'm trying to grab your heart tonight, today. (laughs) Let's keep moving. We went through the law, the prophets, and the writings. We can see throughout the word some very central themes 
It's almost as if the King of Kings has been speaking the same message since the beginning. Like it's a contiguous revelation. Back, it's amazing what can be done just with a few minutes and a strong and an Englishman's concordance. It can help you. We're going to take a look at the New Testament now. I love the New Testament. I really do. I love it even more after I read the Older Testament. I keep finding things that they were talking about, and I didn't get it until I spent some time studying the first floor of the building. Turn to Luke 15. 17th verse. While you do that, I want to talk about Matthew 7 for just a few minutes. In Matthew 7, we have a narrow door. Something about that narrow door really describes the need to arise. How do we press in through a narrow door if we don't take our stand, if we don't arise to do it? See, one of the pastors in the church spoke to us about an ever-narrowing door a few times describing from his own personal life in the Word how he pressed through that narrow door once, but somehow kept getting a little narrower, kept showing back up. What we are called to do is again and again press through that narrow door, teaching those behind us to do it. It's a progression. It's almost like there are children, there are young men, and there are fathers in the faith. See, we have representations of that in the room. Look at Brother Baj and Elder Charlie and Elder Steve men who have been faithful and are pillars in the house of God, not to mention our pastoral staff and their family. We have a lot at our disposal. The question is, will we press into that narrow door behind them, or will we let someone else blaze a trail that we don't follow? We're going to follow it. I know that we are. Amen. I've watched many men start out but not continue in it. But we will do it differently. I'm looking at men in the room just a little while ago. I met or I've known from years, but I can still see the growth in your lives. Frank, are we coming up on a year now? Sure. Frank and several of us from the prison team ministry met about a year ago now because we got in a discussion with a Catholic apologist and he was not very happy that we used scripture. And Frank took notice and came to talk with us. It turned out Frank was born again, spirit-filled, and had an interest in the Muslim world. And he was willing to even take his family there. We became fast friends with Frank. And it's been a year, and it feels like it was just a few months ago. I feel like I've known him forever, and yet somehow it was just yesterday we were hanging out at the prison training. I look at people in this room that I know and that I love. If you press in, if you continue to rise up and you don't let anything stop you, you will succeed. There is nothing stopping you. There is nothing holding you back. You can do it. Let's read, let's work through these words one more time. Just keep in mind all of the possible meanings. He was such an expressive language and yet somehow more compacted. When God says to rise, to arise, to stand, to rise up, stand firm, to rise in a hostile way, to become powerful, to come on the scene. He rolled up on the scene, man. To stand, to endure, to be fixed, to be proven, to persist, to impose, to establish. This is all one Hebrew word. All of this meaning, 
What we're speaking about here is the gumption to do what is needed. It's to take your stand. We can take about seven different English words. But each of you know that feeling in your chest that I'm talking about, don't you? See, we can describe it as standing firm or standing up or rising, whatever you would like. You know what it feels like when the Lord's calling you and it's time to take your stand. It's because you've done it before. I encourage you today, just don't let anything keep you from it. Amen. That is your lifeline. Amen. Okay, we're going to read Luke now. We're going to read it. Get in there. Anybody who's heard the pastors teach some on this particular passage often will refer to it as the heart of a father instead of, or the father instead of the prodigal son. Because there's nothing particularly special about a son who has fallen away and is distant from his father. There's something very special about a father who responds the way that he does. But we'll pick up and read it. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him. You guys know how the rest of the story goes. Puts a ring on his finger. He sacrifices the fattened calf. He gets him a robe. Something about the heart of man has always been this. What's special here is the father, not the son. Moses had to return to his father. Moses had to arise to meet the call of God. He found himself in a distant, parched land. Deborah and Barak, they had to rise and be woken up. Daniel, he had to get up off the floor and go about the king's business. Yeah. From the law, the prophets, the writings, to the New Testament gospel, the Lord has been consistently saying, no matter what your circumstance is, if you will rise to meet me, I have heavenly blessings on the other side for you. Amen. I have a robe for you. I have a ring. I have food at the table Come to your senses. You can think of some areas that might need to come to your senses. Say, I did, and that's why I'm preaching on this. Somehow, we make it into the Father's house, but then still have a little of that pig's mud on us. Areas that we are not thinking like we should be. We have to arise to the Father in every area, on every occasion, and make it the only option. Does anybody in the room want to arise to their Father today? Yes. See, we had a good time in worship. I think we might even be able to go a little further. We might be able to arise to meet our daddy, to rise to meet the one who will give us strength to do what is right. In John 11, the dead are raised. Lazarus, come out! But you know... Good would it be for Lazarus to come out and then keep his grave clothes on. See, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and then told him, take those grave clothes off. 
had to continue to arise and arise and arise again. It's almost as if salvation alone is not just enough. When you are born again, you must do something with it. You need the Holy Spirit to anoint you to be witnesses to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We were not saved just to sit somewhere. We were saved, and we arise to our Father so that He might anoint us with the good works that He has. Somehow, most of the Christian world has gotten obsessed with wanting to be saved and staying in their grave with grave clothes on them. We talk about it in a lot of ways, but that puts it in a good perspective, doesn't it? You want to sit in your grave. So you better be careful. Somebody might roll that tombstone back over. In Acts 1, men who are saved have to arise and press in for something more. Amen. They get filled with the Holy Ghost. In Acts 2, men who are saved and spirit-filled have to arise and press in for something more. You see, the devotion of God comes on them. They began to devote themselves to fellowship, teaching, the breaking of bread, and they were in each other's homes every day. They didn't need a special time just with their family every day. We have to add devotion to our faith. We have to add the Spirit to our faith, just like we do the Word. Let's go to Revelation, the third chapter. Did anybody like our Revelation study? I did. See, we're going to talk about the Church of Sardis in particular. Each of the seven churches had something that was required of them and had to arise to meet it. Not just one, everyone. I mentioned something earlier about seven churches. See, just like Jesus Christ, Moses fought for his daughter's churches. He watered them. He defended them from the world and he was teaching them to live rightly. Those seven daughters remind me so much of the seven churches of Jesus Christ. Seven churches that are written about in Revelation. He goes and he speaks to them about what they need to do, where they need to arise, like a loving father who knows his kids. Is the Lord speaking to some of us in the room like a loving father? Maybe it's Sardis, maybe it's Ephesus, maybe it's Laodicea. Is there something that the Word of God is speaking to you that it's time to arise in a matter? Let's read Revelation 3. We'll pick up in the second verse. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I have come to you. I don't believe that this is the majority of this church at all. But these churches had the original apostles in them. These churches started in the purest Holy Ghost fire kind of setting that there could be. We're not exempt. Those of you in the room who are pressing in, you know your deeds aren't complete. That's why you're still struggling in it. Be encouraged and continue to press on. If you're trying to, to ride on yesterday's bread, it's time to press on. It's time to rise up in your faith And not settle for stale anymore. Not settle for fruit that has long since spoiled. Bring the King of Kings fresh fruit in your life. We've discussed the law, the prophets, the writings, the New Testament gospels, and the book of Revelation. 
you have time for a couple writings out of the New Testament? Let's do it. Let's go to James, the first chapter. verse. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Goes on and it speaks about your own sinful desires dragging away. See, you know what Titus 2 tells us? That the grace of God has appeared to teach us to say no to ungodliness. This teaches us to arise to the standard of the King of Kings. Yes. If we persevere, if we stand firm, He will give us a crown of life. That's not something that's written about for someone else. It's not something that's written about for some distant place, far, far away and in another galaxy. He's speaking about us in this room. The king of kings will put a crown on your head if you persevere with what he has shown you. Amen. A crown of life, not one that will spail, not one that is going to tarnish, not one that, will, that can be taken away from you. What would it be worth to be standing in the presence of the heavenly host with the patriarchs that we just mentioned and have him put a crown on your head? Does anybody in the room want a crown? Yes. What would not be worth doing? What wouldn't be? See, no death, no daily implementation of the word could possibly compare to having a crown of life placed on your head by the King of Kings in, pres- in the presence of the heavenly host. Say, I want that crown. I want that crown no matter what it takes. Let's fight for the crown that God has given us. Let us arise. In Acts 26... There's a recounting of Paul's testimony. Put the 16th verse on the screen. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you, appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to that of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. See, when we started, I told you that we would talk about rising up in your flesh or in your spirit. See, Paul spent his whole life rising up in his flesh, He thought it was for the Lord, but he was persecuting Christ and he appeared to him in a vision. But what we are called to do is rescue men from darkness. It's to show up on the scene in power. That's what that word can mean. When we take our stand, when we arise in Christ, it is displaying the power of God and rescuing souls from Satan. It is driving darkness out of our lives, driving darkness out of 
everywhere that he puts us. It's what we do. You know? He didn't ask Paul if he wanted to get up or if he wanted to do it. He said, get up. Go do the work that I have for you. Sometimes we make the Lord's commands a suggestion. Arise is something you do and something that is commanded. There's no question mark on the end of arise. It's God's revelation piercing the room in our hearts and our very response to it. We read a little bit about Job earlier. In Job, it asks, what will you do when the Holy One confronts you, when the Lord confronts you? What I want to ask you today is, what will you do when the Lord confronts you and there is nothing between you and Him? There's not any kind of buffer. There's nothing that could be, could hide it. Fig leaves are gone. No cars of retirement accounts will do it. No church attendance will do it. Either it's we arose or we didn't. I'm confident that you can and you will arise. All that we have to do is let go of our former way of life, not be stubborn and follow him. If we come to him and get out of the pig slop, as many times as we find ourselves there, every time you realize there's a part of your character that isn't right, every time you realize that the Lord is saying, I want you to be ministering there. I want you to press into this. He will meet us. 2 Corinthians, in the first chapter, talks about how Christ will help us. This could seem like an overwhelming thing. And it is quite the undertaking. Don't take it lightly. Yet at the same time, He will help you. I'm young and I know it. But I've also been watching this for quite some time. And I know not just from my life, but from the testimony of the pastors that are in this room and the elders. He will help you. He did for them. He did for me. And He will for my son. If you feel the Lord tugging on you in an area, and He's telling you, I want you to arise and not relax in what was from yesterday, it's time to meet Him. Because He will confront us. But it, it will give us either a crown or shame. But I'm convinced that I'm standing in a body that does not have to be ashamed, that will be dressed in linen on that day. So if we need to put on some more garments to do today, what you need to do is take your stand, arise in the workplace, arise in your home, let your light shine before men, respond. Who will rise with me today? Then let's do it.